Encouraging Others Through Christ, podcast episode number 126. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Encouraging Others Through Christ. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and of course, this is the podcast where I encourage you to encourage others daily, as long as it is called today. Well, my friends, this is an exciting episode for me personally. I've been excited about this interview that I'm about ready to share with you for two weeks, ever since it's first been scheduled. I, of course, am going to be talking with Wayne Jacobson. Now, many of you will recognize that name because I've been talking about him quite a bit recently, and I did an entire episode about a book that he had wrote called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. If you go back to episode number 121 of this podcast, you will be able to listen to just how much that, um, that, that book has had a major impact on my life, and um, you know, it, it, it's just amazing. And I think you're going to hear about all of that here in the episode. So I'm really not going to give you much more here. Let's go ahead and play that interview for you right now. Well, my friends, I have Wayne Jacobson on the line with me right now. Wayne, I am so delighted to get to speak to you, my friend. Really? Why is that? Well, just because God had brought me to your book in just the right time. He's been he's been working on me in a in a very special journey, uh, if you will, since I guess well, it's been five years ago. Okay. I, I created this podcast. I just renamed this podcast after 124 episodes. It was it was the About the Church podcast. Just changed it uh, this week to the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. Um, and the, when I first started the About the Church podcast, I think it was episodes number like 12 through 16 was titled, Why I Hate the Church. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, and when, I, when I wrote that, the title was Lowercase C. It's, it's the, the institution, the organization. And yep. I was doing a book review of George Barna's book, Revolution. I'm sure you're familiar with that book. I am. Oh, yeah, very much. So, so what was going on is as I was reading this book, as my wife and I were getting ready to leave this big mega church that we were in, pursuing something way different than what was going on there with the building campaign for you know millions of dollars and, and all this other stuff, and, and just the fact that we were just overwhelmed with meetings and, and things like that. And um, I, I was reading this book and, and Barna was telling about all these people who were leaving the church, leaving the local church and, you know, how they were living true, authentic lives of faith, had genuine relationships with Jesus Christ, but were not affiliated, attending a local church. And I read this book and it challenged me. And I came away reading this from reading this book at the end of my five-part series, Why I Hate the Church, and my review of George Barna's book was that Barna made a lot of valuable um, s- statements there. I, there. There's no question I, I, I agree with almost everything Barna says in this book, except for I cannot accept the idea of abandoning 
the local church? Because, you know, what about, you know, God's called some to be pastors. God's called some to be elders. No problem. So, I had to hide a ringing phone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But God's called some people, you know, has, has given some of these people the gifts of, of being a pastor and, and encouraging and preaching and, and all of these different things. And for some reason, I, I bought into the idea that that has to happen in this thing that we have today, which is a business culture of the, of the institution. So I, I went and found this book. Have you ever heard of the book called Simple Church? I have. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. It's it's it, it was a book that really it's just like wow. Okay, this is the breath of fresh air. So I went and searched for the simple church, and I found one, and I loved it for three months. And I've been in it. I was in it for five years, and for the last four years and nine months, I hated it. Wow. I despise. I I've never felt more miserable in my life as a Christian than I did the last four years and nine months because every single Sunday morning I despised sitting in that church. Mm. And, and, and I thought I was horrible. And I have, uh, I have a ministry, this podcast ministry, reaching about 60,000 people around the world each week. And people are writing me emails saying, gosh, Cliff, you're the perfect example of what a Christian should be. And I'm like, you guys are nuts. You don't know how much God hates me right now. <laughs> Because God's so mad. I mean, not that he hates me, but he's mad at me. If he was in the hating business, but. Yeah, he can't be. You know, you guys can't say that I'm a perfect Christian because a perfect Christian would be one that's pleasing to God. One that, that goes to church and is not consumeristic because I'm obvious. I've been trained that I am consumeristic because I can't go to church on Sunday morning and and overlook the off key singing, the boring songs that we sing every week and and stuff. So I'm obviously a consumer. And I genuinely probably don't even have real relationship with God because I don't like this thing called church. Hmm. And um, my wife, had, now I'm going to ask you about another book. Have you ever heard of Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers? I have not. This is a great book. Um, it's a modern day retelling of the book of Hosea by Francine Rivers. She's a Christian author. It was her first Christian book. And it told, tells the story of Hosea in the gold rush days of California. And through this, I'm reading this book, and all of a sudden, I'm hearing God tell me, I love you, through another podcaster, a good friend of mine who's a pastor, and he's telling, God loves you. He, lo- he loves you. He's, he's not mad at you. He's not this angry God. And, and I hear that people have this relationship with the, the institution. People have relationship with information, or people have a relationship with a moral code of conduct. But, but what he's called us to is a relationship with Jesus. And so I'm hearing this, and I'm reading this book, um, Redeeming Love, and then a friend of mine who, I, I, when I think of a good church-going Christian woman, you know, the perfect Christian woman, uh, she, she's a younger woman, she's about my age, but her, she's my wife's best friend. Her name's Sarah. And I know that's your wife's name. But anyway. That's my best friend's name, too. Exactly. So, so my wife's friend Sarah comes over, and she has this book in her hand. And I say, hey, which, what's the book you're reading? She goes, here, it's called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. And I'm like, what are you doing with a book like that? And she explains to me the path that God's been having her on and, and some of the things that she's realizing. I went to bed that night. and I went to bed about probably about 11 o'clock. And I laid there and I couldn't sleep, tossing, turning. About 12 o'clock, I feel this urge to get up 
and grab my Kindle and I was going to just go ahead and get the free sample of the of the Kindle version of So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. And I found it in the Amazon Kindle store and I just I, I'm not saying that God said, no, don't don't buy the Don't get this. Get Just go ahead and buy it. But I, I just felt I'm going to buy this book yeah. and, and then I'm OK. I'm just going to read the first chapter. Next thing I know, it's four o'clock in the morning. I finished this book within like, I don't know, two, three days. Mm. And I will tell you, God spoke clearly to me that this is the this is what he's been trying to communicate. God loves you. He's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. And and he it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so, Wayne, when I, I share all of that to say, this is why I'm so excited to talk to you. Not and 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 it's not that you that that changed my life. But I'm well aware of that. But but and I, I say that because I know you get people that say that. Wow, you changed my life when I read this book. But God used your book to communicate to me the icing on the cake. You know, <laughs> the the it's like it it was it was being communicated to me from every direction, every direction, and finally it all made sense when I read. So you don't want to go to church anymore. Mm. Wow. So. Anyway, the people who are listening to this interview, unfortunately, they know all of that stuff. <laughs> so, okay. so, 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 and now they're interested in hearing not so much about me talking. I wanted to give you that little background. I want to know about Wayne Jacobson. And before I, I do that, I want to ask you, so you don't want to go to church anymore. It's written about a guy named Jake. I have to ask you, are you Jake? Uh, no, actually, my dad's called Jake. Uh, Jacobson often gets to be a nickname of Jake, and my dad carries that. I don't. But no, I'm not the Jake Colson in the book. That's not my story. Okay, so it's not your story. That, that, that's what I wanted to know. And, and can you tell me, what is your story? I, I want to know, because you used to be a pastor, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I guess. Are we going to talk about your sins, too, or just mine? <laughs> well, I'll talk about my sins. I'm, all, okay, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Um, no, seriously, I, I, I want to know if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your story of, of how, how did you come to this, this understanding of freedom in Christ? Well, I, I didn't fit the, the pastor mantle very easily. I, I got out of Bible school, Bible university with a passion to help people learn to follow Jesus. And the only thing I knew to do is you become a pastor to do that. And so I got on staff at the church that I was attending at the time, invited me to come on staff. And, um, there was a lot I liked about it in the early days, but as time wore on, I was there five years. As time wore on, it just seemed like the things God was teaching me was really at odds with this corral we had made for people, and that the dependence was more on the institution and on the staff than it was teaching people how to be dependent on Jesus and how to follow him. At the time, I was still pretty much a pretty works-oriented guy, a pretty performance-based guy. I just thought there was a better way to build the corral. So at the age of 27, I left there to go build my own corral. And uh, hysterically, uh, I thought I had all the answers I needed at the age of 27 to build the New Testament church in the 20th century. And uh, after 15 years of trying that, and uh, we, it, we, we did it as a community of house churches. We didn't really try to do the traditional congregational thing. But despite what we were trying to do, it became that anyway. It became the very thing we were saying we don't want to become that. Our Sunday morning celebration became the engaging thing everybody wanted to attend, and the house group relationship things kept diminishing over time. And 
So I got to the end of that journey going, okay, this was my chance to do it exactly the way I think it ought to be done. And I got kicked out of it. My best friend, co-pastor of 15 years, announced my resignation one day when I was speaking out of town to a different fellowship. And I had not offered my resignation. So that was quite a little wake-up call. And I came back into town. Either I've got to fix this. I've got to throw him out. I've got to unearth this little elder coup that's gone on. Four of our 18 elders wanted to stage this little coup. And the rest of them want me to come back and fix things. And I just never got back. I felt like God kept putting on my heart, I have more to teach you if you walk away than if you stay. And that was so counter Wayne Jacobson. I'm a fighter. I'm the third of four boys grew up on a farm. I don't mind getting in a fight with you, even if I lose. As long as you're bloodied up a bit, I'm okay with that. And uh, I felt like he said, I just want you to walk away. I don't want you to make any explanations to people. I don't want you to defend yourself. I want you to walk away and I have more to teach you. And what he had to teach me, the, the, the book I wrote before, uh, So You Don't Want a Church Anymore, and the book I think is still the most significant one I'll ever write, is called He Loves Me, Learning to Live in the Father's Affection. And I, I came to realize, having left that system that I had helped construct, and now outside of it, meeting other people outside for whom I was very endeared with their journey and their spiritual passion. And before I would have thought, you can't live this way if you're not in one of those Sunday morning clubs. And they were making very clear to me, yeah, you can. You can have a vibrant life in Jesus. In fact, in some ways, our religious institutions, though many of them involve some wonderful people who really have a passion for God. That's true. It's also true that the the political realities around the machine we call local churches often diminishes the hunger people have to really follow God. So I went on a bit of a different journey. And for me, it really wasn't about church. It was the difference between trying to earn God's love and then living as a beloved child of God. And that was the big change for me. I was already outside of an institutional church at that point. Uh, There were some other people looking to start a new one, and I was hanging out with them, but promising I'm not going to be the pastor. I'm done with that part of my life. And uh, began to discover a very different way to live and to relate to people that was everything I had hungered for in the body of Christ, but had not found in our traditional congregational format. So how long ago was this the, the, that you began to have that understanding of uh, uh, that you're, you have started a journey of understanding what it means to live in the Father's love? Yeah, I got resigned in 94, right before Christmas. It's amazing how many people get fired right before Christmas. But I went through that two weeks before Christmas in 1994. So now we're talking about 17, 18 years out. So it took uh, it took six months to begin to even begin to understand that I'd misunderstood God's love so deeply. It took another year and a half of me learning to live in that before the pain of the betrayal and all that began to work its way out of my heart and I began to find my footing again. So there's a two year transition period in there that was incredibly painful in every way you can measure pain, uh, but actually was part of God doing his work in me to get me into a better place. No. Some people who would read um, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore and hear about this, they would think that maybe you've written this and, and, and that you're, you're bitter or you're angry. Uh, do, you kinda, do you get some of that feedback? And, and if so, what do, you, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I don't get it directly because people who know me know I'm not bitter and know that, and people who've read the book actually will know that it's not an anti-church book. It's very pro-church. It's just looking at it differently than we've been taught to look at it. Um, so I don't, I, I, people get it for me. People who are reading my book and other people will tell them he's bitter. You shouldn't be reading the book or whatever. But I realized the, the, the accusation of bitter 
is the way the institutional church marginalizes people who don't conform. Mm. They can put a bitter tag on you, then people just go, oh, yeah, he's bitter. And I go, no, I've been through some rough things. Most people have church-wise. If you've committed to the local church, you've been through some painful stuff, whether you've stayed or left. That doesn't really matter. You've been through some painful stuff. Um, but I, I, I had my, some of my wonderful days in the institutional church. I think what frustrated me is it seemed to promise us a better life than it could deliver. So I didn't leave church because it was in the traditional congregation because it was bad. I left because it wasn't good enough. It wasn't what I really had in my heart that God wanted to share with people. You say it took you six months to to kind of, you know, really start to grasp the Father's love and then another year and a half to to kind of iron out and live through some painful things. Are you willing to share what some of those painful things that you had to go through? Oh, I think I already did. I mean, being betrayed by my best friend, having rumors go on through the town I lived in that I had had an affair, which is why they had to kick me out. And they didn't really ever say that publicly, but they kind of whispered that around and let that rumor thrive. Um, and I was just feeling all alone that I had lost. I'd, I'd spent 15 years of my life building this thing that I thought was a wonderful model of what church should be. And then my best friend kicks me out of it. And a bunch of fleshy men kind of took it over to what they wanted it to be. And so for the first six months, it was just stewing in, now what do I do? I, I feel not only betrayed by a friend, I also feel like, God, where were you in this? You know, do I have to become like him to save this? I'm not willing to do that. I could have. I, I had the political authority and I had the affection of the people. I could have won that fight if I would have had it. But uh, I, I decided not to have that fight and instead you know, be on the outside of it. So it was all the pain of that feeling. My reputation was destroyed, which actually was one of the biggest healings. That's I think prior to 94, most of what I did in ministry had to do with Wayne's need to be successful and Wayne's desire to be significant in the world for God. And I think in that first six months, I began to really lose my need to live that way and find some greater freedom in just being God's kid. But I didn't know I was on a journey to gets the living love thing. I was just going back to, okay, well, something I knew about church that was alive there. There was something that got to be false and destructive. How do I separate those out? But I was with a group in Australia who had invited me to come and teach. And they taught a version, a story about the cross of Jesus Christ I'd never heard before. And what that story did, my stories of the cross growing up made Jesus the love of my life, but the Father, God, a bit of a creep. Give us to slaughter his son to love me. What does that say about him? Uh, yeah, and they, yeah. had, they had a different story of the cross that put the father as an endearing character in the story as well. I came home from that teaching going, okay, that can't be right because I'm 42 years old. I've never heard this before. It can't be right. But as I came home and began to research the, the scriptures, and I, I can read in the Greek, so I mean, I was researching everything I could about the death of Christ. And about six months into that study and prayer, God made clear to me that, uh, in fact, that story was the story. And the story I'd been told, this angry, appeasing God that needed to hurt his only son to love me, uh, wasn't, it wasn't a good enough story. And that began that six months of beginning to understand what the love of the Lord was and why I had missed that in all my, because I'm a good performer. I could perform well. So if religion is about performance, I can get to the top of that pyramid. Yeah. But then I realized that's not a pyramid and being at the top of it is not healthy for me or them. And so that's that's where it took on a real change. Now, I, I listen to your podcast, The God Journey. I absolutely love it. I I've, After I found out about you 
after reading the book, I I probably listened to as as far as the God Journey about forty episodes of you and Brad talking, mm-hmm. uh, and and then we'll talk about another podcast in a minute. But obviously, you and Brad have an amazing relationship, and I've also just in the forty episodes that I've listened to, I've heard you guys have a a whole group of people locally and around the world that that you have this kind of relationship where you can experience doing life together with other people in Christ. Now, how long was it before you started to have those kind of relationships in your life at the early part of this journey? Well, I, you know, I think Sarah and I've always had a real passion for, for close relationships. First church I pastored at, actually, I was told by the pastor I was not allowed to have any close friends in the congregation. It would just create jealousies and, and so not to have any. But I had them anyway. We had a group that met on Friday night. There was about eight, nine couples in it. And some of us are still close to this day. I've stayed in fellowship with each other. And that's been 35 years. So I've always said that. I had it in the fellowship I was part of. When Sarah and I left there, we had some of those fellowships come with us and say, what are you guys doing? We really love you guys. We want to walk together. So we always had people around us locally. I think what began to happen uh, beyond that is my, my books were out of print when I got laid off by the church, the two books I had written by that time. So I had no idea what was next for me. I just said, God, I really don't care what's next. Whatever you want to lead me to is fine. If you want me to get a real job and not do this full time, that that actually sounds wonderful to me. Um, But God began to open doors for me to come hang out with various groups of people. The people in Australia were the first of it. I began to meet some folks in in Ireland that I've hung out with many times in England and South Africa that I dearly love. We've maintained some close friendships. in fact, there's one of them from Ireland who keeps trying to ring me here while we're talking on the phone. He thinks I'm on Skype, which I never am unless I have an appointment. So he's trying to get through to me, but uh, we'll talk to him later. I know it's getting ready for bedtime out there for them. But we ended up with great friends all over the world. And the Internet obviously has allowed us to connect in ways that that relationship could continue to thrive and grow. So it was fairly early on. We felt like we've always had people close to us in this journey. Um Sometimes we've been a few steps ahead of them. Sometimes they've been a few steps ahead of us. But we've really had the ability to love each other. I think this is what what traditional congregations don't do well. And that is we don't love people well that we disagree with. Mm. Agreement becomes the basis by which we do love. And what we began to discover is that, man, you can have great relationship, even with people. Brad and I, we do a podcast together. There's a lot of good chemistry between us. But boy, if Brad and I sat down and talk about the things we disagreed about, it would be vast and numerous. There are many things that we disagree about. Some we talk about in the podcast, others we just don't. Going there just would confuse people and probably make us angry, so it's just not worth going there on on air. But we'll do it off air. We'll have those kinds of conversations together because we know our relationship can sustain it. It's it's bigger than our agreement. So we've had them pretty early on. They keep growing. I'm not overwhelmed with them. Now, I I go hang out with people for a weekend and then... I feel like Monday morning when I'm going to fly back home, I'm leaving dear, dear friends. I, even in a weekend, the kinds of connections that can happen with people on a similar journey is pretty pretty provocative and pretty enduring. Well, I I want to go back, if you don't mind me sharing a little bit of my story with you as well. But, um, you know, like I said, my journey started five years ago when I first read Revolution and, and I did find another church and had been participating there. Uh, I'm looking here. It was September 22nd, 2011. I put out episode number 121 of the About the Church podcast t- yeah. titled, Not Going to Church Anymore. Ah. 
All right. Now you've got to imagine I have this, I consider it, it's not technically a ministry, but what I do is I, I see it as my ministry. It's what I've been called to do. And so of, of the 60,000 people who listen to me, approximately 60 to 70% of everyone out there listening on a regular basis are Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actively engaged and in, in a uh, Christian church. And not only that, but uh, I have, you know, I've been, a, I had been involved in an, a role of ministry, uh, whether it be associate pastor of a Nazarene church and then, you know, leader of small groups and leader of leaders of small groups in other churches. And I was listening to your podcast and especially, you know, it's like, man, if you go, a lot of people, when they start on this journey, it, it's a lot of pain at first. It's a lot of this at first. And, and, yep. and it's a lot of this at first. And what's been weird for me is that I have not met any opposition. I mean, well, my mom doesn't get it, but but outside of but outside I'll of have a hard time getting it. Yeah. But outside, yeah. outside of my mom, I really have not gotten a, a hard time. So so here's the thing. First and foremost, I've got this I've got this uh pastor friend of mine uh down in Nashville, Tennessee. He leads this place called the Gathering of Nashville. And he's the he actually was the one who first entered before I read your book started talking about the fact that God doesn't love me based upon what I do or don't do. He just loves me. And yeah. he's and he's like, Cliff, man, you got to understand you are doing the work of the church and they should be celebrating what you're doing. And and I'm like, but I feel so guilty for not enjoying what they're calling me to do there. And I and, and stuff. He says, you, trust me, you're doing it. Don't worry about what they think or anything like that. They should be celebrating. And so he was this first encourager and I thought for sure he's a pastor of a church, right? So immediately, as soon as I say, Hey, I said, Hey, I just read this book and I sent it to him. He's like, I'll read it cliff. And, and I sat there and I said, I just put out this podcast. I'm not going to church anymore. And I'm like, okay. And I'm still struggling with the, you know, I, I, you know, I'm still struggling with at the time with people's approval. You know, it's like, is, are people going to approve of me if I stop going to church? And the first person that I really turned to and I really cared about whether or not they would approve or not was my good friend, David Foster. And he's my pastor friend. And he's like, dude, I I said, you don't think I've gone off the deep end? He's not at all, man. Not at all. He says, you you don't understand. You, you actually have a church. I mean, you're doing, you're filling a role of a pastor. You, you're doing this. It doesn't have to look that way. And, and that kind of blew me away. And you're, you're fortunate. Not, not many people get that kind of support from that kind of a person. That's wonderful. Well, get and this that's that's the thing. And so not only that, but of course, my friend Sarah. Obviously, the next week she came, I was like, "Dude, we gotta sit down and talk." <laughs> so, so that conversation has been amazing. So she was there. I've been talking to my prayer partner, who's been my prayer partner for 15 years, and uh, he lives down in Florida. And he's like, "Dude, I've been on this same journey." And it's like, we're right there. He's like, dude, are, he goes, so are you ready to start listening to Steve Brown? And I'm like, what? And he's like, he says, go listen to this thing called the Scandalous Freedom Podcast. And I subscribe to that. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's, there's more. And so I created a, I started creating a list called Free in Christ Friends. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't, my list is getting so long. And, and I, so obviously I quit going to, we, we don't, our family doesn't go to a church anymore. And uh, we were still participating in a small group that is a small group of that church. And we even told the leaders, you know, say, hey, we're not going to be coming. Are you still okay with us coming here and stuff? We still want to do life with you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that they do as a small group is um, our that church meets in a high school gymnasium. 
and they you know each group takes turns in who's going to set up so in the month of december it's our group's time to actually show up early stay late and tear up and put down the high school for the church services Sure. And I made a commitment. I said, listen, I know that that's a part of being this group and I want to do life with you. And I and and even though we don't attend with you guys on Sundays anymore, we'll still come and do this. That's cool. So I, 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 I so this the last three weeks I've gone to church and hmm. you know what? My pastor from my church, he he comes up to me, he says, hey, Cliff, he goes, just want to let you know, I'm still listening to all your podcasts and I know all about your not going to church or anything. He goes, I just want you to know I'm behind you 100 percent, man. Cool. I'm I'm beside myself of of the support of of this, and you know I I, I headed out to Los Angeles for my very first time. I threw a, a community meetup, invited people on Facebook to come out. They signed up. I'm running to this guy named James Queso, and I'd never met him, but he listened to the podcast for a long time. We ended up having like a 45 minute conversation. It's just everywhere I go. I had a meetup in Chicago. I meet this these group of people and the conversation it's just everywhere i go it's other people on this journey who are who are have either been on this journey for a while or are just starting this journey Mm -hmm. have you noticed that and this is something i asked my friend david is it just because i'm now aware of this message or is it or have these people been out there all along understanding the true freedom in christ it's it's kind of like so. it's kind of like my wife. She wants a she wants a Toyota Highlander. So now everywhere we go, she sees a Toyota Highlander. Is that what's going on with me? It's possible that some of that. I think I, I think that I think there's always been people who've hungered for the real deal, and you know, always they seem to find their way outside of the institutional things. Then they seem to create their own institutional things. I don't know how many churches, even mega churches today. We started with twelve people in a home just loving Jesus together. Yeah, but where did you lose that? Because I'm more interested in that than what you've got now. And um, but but I think they say forty two million people have left uh, traditional churches in America in the last twenty years. Forty two million. Wow. Certainly not all of them came out on this journey loving Jesus. I meet a lot that came out embittered, felt like God was a fraud. If that's his people, then he's a fraud. And there's been a lot of people who've left and abandoned their faith. There's also been a lot of people leave to preserve their faith, to say, I need something more real than I was getting in that environment, particularly from the environments I came from, which were much more you know, conservative uh, churches that are very autocratic in nature. The senior pastor is the representation of Jesus to the community. Uh, I come from that venue where there's been a lot of abuse, a lot of, you know, I'm in charge and you'll do what I say and shut up and go along. So I've come from a, a, a very abusive uh, wing of the of the body of Christ. But I think there are people, I think there's more and more just saying, you know, we've been through the mega church thing. We've had all the entertainment. We've got all the bells and whistles and smoke and mirrors and great bands and all that stuff. But still... I want to know Jesus in a way that this place isn't helping me know Jesus. And where do I find that? And I think there, I think there's an incredible hunger and it just seems to keep growing. I want to, I want to bring up a conversation about something. I I have a a very dear friend of mine. Um, He's in his sixties, a client of mine, but also very good friend and just diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer and has been told that, you know, with the way it's spread to his lungs and his lymph nodes, uh, they, they, there's not much chance that they can do anything to give him more than six months mm. and, you know, married man. And I want to tell you, um, he contacted me cause he has this podcast ministry that he was doing 
He's he wanted to talk to me about, you know, some big decisions he had to make. And I'm sitting there thinking, how do I talk to a guy that has this going on in his life? And and Wayne, I want to tell you, this is a man who has been a church going man all of his life. But from the day I first met him and his wife via Skype to do a consulting call with mm-hmm. them, there's no question in my mind, my mind that this man is a genuine man of faith who knows our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that he has a relationship with our Father. And he is he's he he's he is a church going man. He's just as happy in his church as anybody could possibly be. And mm-hmm. and I will tell you that, that when he went to the when he is and his wife moved from Florida to the Georgia Northwest Mountains, you know, they sought out a community and a church there and and plugged right in and those people immediately came family and have they've lived among them for the last year or so. And uh, here he is diagnosed with this. And I tell you, I got off that f- first phone call with him and I've had at least three phone calls with him since. And I tell you, I'm, I'm encouraged and inspired after each of those calls. The, mm. the man is like, uh, he, matter of fact, he, he wanted to talk to me because he's going to end these two podcasts about farming and he's he's creating GodIsBiggerThanCancer.com. And he's like, you know what? God's bigger than this. And I may I may only live for six months, but I'm going to be a, a I'm going to be searching and researching anything I can about this, so people can learn about it. And I and I want to show people that that you don't have to give up on life as soon as you're diagnosed. That you can you can fight, but you know it's also you know just yeah. a sense of encouragement. So the reason I bring this up is that um, you know you you still have people who are in church who are very much experiencing the love of the Father and a genuine relationship with Christ. How is that? Well, I, th- I think what we call the traditional congregation, I, people want to see it as evil uh, or wrong or the only thing that is, that works. And I, I think it's somewhere in between. I think it's basically irrelevant, uh, the institutional part of it. If people there love God and are helping others learn to live loved, it can be fine environment to be in. If people, if it's about power and doctrine and ritual and it's all that, then it's going to be pretty empty. But I don't know that it's an evil. I think some of the political things people do to each other in those environments can be somewhat uh, not so good. But I, I find people who are learning to live loved and share that love with others freely in just about every environment imaginable because God is bigger than all those environments. If he's bigger than cancer, he's obviously bigger than the institutional element of the church. Absolutely. And, I think where people have hearts that open toward him, he's going to find them wherever they are and lead them into the reality of that life. Awesome. So, so you, you're, you're, and, and I, I know this about you. Yeah, obviously, I've listened to a lot of your content, but uh, I want, I want my audience to hear this. But you're not suggesting that everybody ought to leave the church. No, for sure. Very good. So, yeah. I, I mean, very clear. And th- that's that's the thing. I mean, and for me, I just don't feel that my place right now is the church. Now, I don't know if I heard this on your podcast or where I heard this, but um, you know, sometimes it's like you know, okay, well, if you're if you're not going to go to church, that means you're not taking your kids to church. How are your kids ever going to learn about God? And I don't know. Was it on your podcast where I where I heard the phrase? Well, how are my kids ever going to learn to have a real, genuine, authentic relationship with Christ if I do take them to church? Yeah, at least the at least again, church. The traditional church congregation is no monolithic. They all look the same. Churches I grew up in, I would say, yeah, how do you meet God here when God's just the rule maker and you're putting stars on your chart and you're earning your deal? I, I really don't see how people can learn that. And that's where I come to you. I mean, when we first started this, we had all those questions too. 
how do we do this? And what happens to that? And then when you find out later, you're going like people say, how do you have a pastor if you don't have a, a traditional congregation? I said, man, you don't know what real pastors are then. Real pastors don't need to be head of an organization. Mm. They're people who walk alongside others, help equip them, free them to live love, then watch them grow and live and thrive. They're not people that got to gather every Sunday morning and listen to me talk about the same stuff I've been talking about for 35 years. And so I, I think all that's changed for me. I, I think it's harder to do it in those environments because even just the consistency of sitting there listening to me every week, eventually, and every pastor will tell you this, the people go tone deaf to the person they've always heard. And it's just kind of our Sunday morning sermon. So I'm already thinking about dinner, football, whatever's going on later in the day. I'm just putting my time in and then I go. And that happens all over the place. Yeah. So it's really not an environment that ultimately will help people, I I don't think, get to where they want to get to. Where where it works is because inside those things, there are a community of people that are growing to to live loved. And they do relate to each other. And they do encourage each other. And that kind of stuff is going on inside those places. So you you can find the church there. Yeah. You can find it in so many other ways if that environment no longer works for you. I, I met a pastor, a former pastor, actually, in England. And he said, you see, you know what I tell people, and I, they ask me why I don't go to church anymore. I said, I, I answer it this way. There are two reasons why I think people go to church. One, they either feel like they should, they're obligated to go. Or two, people go because they really enjoy it and it encourages their spiritual life. And he said, at this point in my journey, neither are a factor for me. <laughs> I don't feel <laughs> obligated and I don't enjoy it. And I thought, wow, what a neat response. It's not, if you do, if it's nurturing to you and you've got relationships there that are alive and effective, more power to you. Enjoy it. Love it. Thrive in it. If not, then God has other options. Did I hear, was it your podcast where I heard the idea of the t-shirt for don't shoot on me? Well, the don't, the don't shoot on your friends or don't let friends shoot on you is not original to us. I think that's been a part of the 12 step program in various ways. I've seen it, but we, yeah, we've definitely popularized it in this vein because I think most of us think religion is about obligations to do certain things to keep God happy. And certainly God wants to transform us away from the way sin twists us, but that doesn't come because we should on each other. And I should do this and I should do that. It comes because in loving him, I'm endeared to him. And when I'm endeared to him, I want to be like him. And that freedom from sin comes at a whole different level than here are the rules, stop doing these things. And here's the things you should be doing and go do those things. And so we, we've made that little joke. We, we've tried to get a t-shirt about it, but just haven't found the right, right design. We've had a few submitted and we're going, yeah, now a little tacky. So <laughs> still looking. Nice. All right. But we don't have a trademark on the phrase. Very cool. Very cool. Well, um, well, Let's see here. There's so many different directions I could go. I want to, you know what? I do want to ask you this one. Since you brought up, you know, how do you have a pastor? How do you have this? You know, there was, there was, I, you know, I got a couple emails and they, none of them had been like, man, you're, you're totally going down the wrong path. But I had a couple emails from people and one of them says that, you know, you, you really can't get rid of, you know, the authority of the local church because, you know, you know, there's the biblical mandate of the church to, you know, if somebody gets out of line, you throw them out of the fellowship. I you know, I I know you're familiar with the scripture in the New Testament where it's like you know if this person you know go to this person if he doesn't repent then go with another and if that doesn't happen then you push him out of the fellowship if if you're not in one of those quote unquote organizations how do you throw somebody out of the fellowship I'm not even sure the point of Matthew 18 is to throw someone out of the fellowship <laughs> I think the point of it is when you see somebody that's being destructive you go to them and you try and help them see where they're being destructive if they don't see it take somebody else with them hope they see it. 
If they don't see it, then you're telling it to the church. You're basically telling people there's a destructive personality there. Be careful. It's not, you have to have something to throw them out of. Just in the honesty and integrity of relationships. And most people realize, yeah, that's a destructive person. Or he's promoting something that isn't uh, where God's asked us to live and be. And it's not about really excluding somebody from something. That's the way we got to looking at it. Excommunication was you've got this wonderful thing called body life. And you can throw somebody out of it. If they if they don't do what's expected of them, then they lose the benefits. And, and <laughs> And it's really, I don't think, you have to read that into the text. And you have to read it interpreting it with our definition of church. Instead of, in our environment, if there's people struggling in sin, we go to them in love, hope to see them change, hope to see God do something different there. And it really is not about excluding them from anything. Because at the end of it, Jesus says, treat them like tax collectors and sinners. Well, what is that? Those are people he went and partied with. So what it meant was not you just you, you can't let them think, yeah, I think you're a brother and we're really sharing a spiritual journey here. No, I actually think you're a little bit lost. I still love you. I'll hang out with you. I'm hoping God shows you something better, but I'm not living this illusion of we have deep spiritual fellowship when actually I think you're following your own way and you're not following Christ. So, you know, we've had people who want to join into our communities for various reasons who are living in very blatant sin lives. And I'm all for people who are struggling in sin. My gosh, who of us does not struggle with sin? Right. But when somebody stopped struggling, and I'm enjoying my sin, and I, <laughs> I'm not even calling it sin anymore. I'm calling it God's righteousness. Now we've got a problem of just confusion if we're not honest about what does the Bible really invite us to and who Jesus is really and how, how is he changing our life and molding us into him. So I think all those scriptures are even more powerful inside a relational community of friendships than they are, we have a Sunday morning meeting and you can't come anymore. Oh, what does that mean, really? Yeah. You go down to another one down the street somewhere else and they don't know anything about you and you're welcome there. So, you know, even in the relational aspect of it, I, I you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, we, we have a, our, our, our group of people, we get together, we do life together and, and stuff like that. And this idea of, you know, how... You know, how do we determine, even in those situations, whether or not you're, you're struggling enough? with their, with your sin. Do you, do, you see, do you understand the heart behind that question? Yeah, I do. But I, I think the problem is not, we got to find out where people are sinning or catch them at it. I think the thing is when sin has become public and a point of boasting, that's what Paul's dealing with in Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5. It's, it's, it's not just that sin, we found somebody sinning among us. Well, kid night, he's writing to all that Paul is and saying, abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Because he knows they're doing it. He knows there's problems in all those kinds of places. So it's not the struggle with sin that's important. It really is the person who thinks it's not sin and are living a lifestyle claiming unrighteousness is righteousness. That's the problem. Well, here's what I, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm on your side. I, by the way, I am a, reco- you know, there's recovering alcoholics. I am a recovering legalist. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I say it all the time. Yes. I, I, you know, I've had, I've had a pharisectomy, but, but the whole thing is, is that it, there's still some residual. Uh, but here's the thing. I still struggle with certain things. And, and was this in your book uh, where the question is, why do have, why do so many Christians treat homosexuality so much different than other sins? Was that in your book? Uh, it may have been in something I did or said. Yeah. So I talk about that issue a lot. That is the one issue. And matter of fact, I played, um, in a, I actually did an episode of one of my podcasts and I titled it. I, I, I actually think it might've been the, about the church. Anyway, I did, I actually shared without your permission, by the way, uh, Uh. 
just okay. just the one clip of the incredibly loving father from the Jesus lens. Yeah. The parable of the incredibly loving father. And yeah. and I played that and one of my one of my friends became almost offended by the story about Brenda. Ah. And I and I'm like I couldn't understand how that could have been seen as offensive because I heard how you and it's like the, I grew up in a church where man <laughs> homosexuality is it, it's that that that's the unpardonable sin and and all of a sudden I heard how you dealt and had the conversation with Brenda and that she came asking you to bless her union with a friend. Uh, or with her with her life partner and and same sex partner yeah yeah same sex partner and 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 you said um and I can't remember word for word but it was something like you're asking us to bless this we won't do this there this is some sort of twist on what God desires for you yeah. and 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 I guess that the word the fact that you would actually call that some sort of twist on what God would desire for you became offensive and and so here here's where I from the you know the Pharisee in me uh, comes out is okay. Well, there have been many times where I've sh- where I've had sin in my life, where at the time I didn't realize that that was sin in my life because obviously I was I was actually struggling with other things that God was laying on my heart to deal with. Sure. You know, so he's not. It's, it's the whole metaphor. God, you know, doesn't clean his fish before he catches them. And so God's dealing with me here. He's he- dealing with me here. He's dealing with me here. And the thing is, is this sin right here, it's it's under the radar right now for me. I'm dealing with, I'm trying to work on, you know, work this stuff out. So how do how do I reconcile that? For me, people will say, well, that's sin. It's like, well, I, I'm, that doesn't bother me right now. <laughs> does that, so where does that line come from? Or, or is there a line? I don't know if there's a clear line. I think I think inside a relationship, there is the reality of when you are no longer struggling with something that is a blatantly destructive way of relating to other people. That's the kind of sin. It's not, you know, somebody has lust or somebody's struggling with temptations of some kind or other. It really is. I've, I've got a lifestyle involved in a destructive relationship that I'm not dealing with honestly in a godly way. That, that's the issue. It isn't, it isn't that we're struggling with sin. We all are. It's not old nature, new nature. We have that pulse that's going to struggle till the end of the age. So I'm not, I'm not thinking I'm, I'm going to reach perfection in this life. I'm not even aiming at I mean, I'm aiming at it in the sense that I would love to be, but I'm not having the expectation that, yeah, I'll be perfect by the time that I die. I'll be perfect when this incorruptible takes on incorruption when this corruptible takes on incorruption in the presence of, in the second coming. So I'm looking forward to that day. I, I think it's very clear when that Whatever it is, is so egregious that it's violating the sense of the community and we're, in fact, celebrating something that's ungodly, then that's going to put us in a tough spot. But what religion doesn't have the capacity to do is it doesn't have the capacity to love what it doesn't condone. Right. We use love as a weapon. So if, if I, we, we treat homosexuality with such blatant contempt that we treat homosexuals with contempt. And then that, that doesn't allow us to be in the conversation with them. But if a homosexual person is saying, I need you to agree with me before I know you love me, I'm going, well, I, see, I'm not. I, I don't believe agreement is essential for love. I think I can love you and you can disagree with me. I have people who defend the gay lifestyle biblically. Then they're what I think twisted views of the Bible. And so they'll come out and I say, you know what? I know where you're at. I disagree with it. I've been through all that myself. 
We can talk about as much as you want. I, I hope I can still be your friend if I disagree. And, and, and I still love you. Yeah, I still love and care about you, and I do. But see, inside a relationship, they know that. They know if those are just words, or they know if you really do. I really care about you. You're welcome in my house. You're welcome to sit at my table with my family. Um, but at, at the same time, I'm not going to pretend that you and I are brothers on a same journey. Mm. You're justifying something that I think Jesus says clearly out of bounds. Now, if you're struggling with it, if you're struggling with the question, if you're asking God to come into that part of your life and show you what's real and true, fine. I'm okay with that. But when you've decided, no, this is fine, and there's little in my life I make that kind of decision about. I'm fine here. I'm never changing ever again. I'm every day saying, Jesus, what's next? What is it in me that you're dealing with? And I, and I don't think, I think one of the things religion leaves us with the impression of is that Jesus is always trying to change something in us. And I, I think there's so much to change in me, I can't imagine that he wouldn't have something to change me every day. But he knows that's going to change best when you and I just get distracted being loved and doing the things he wants me to do. I'll get distracted from my sin better than I'm going to go take that on today and get it out of my life myself. But it's that line between now it's I'm no longer struggling, I'm boasting and celebrating something that's destructive. That's where I think these other things kick in. Gotcha. That 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 helps. Um, so the God Journey podcast, absolutely love it. You guys have been doing that since 2005? Yeah. Wow. You, I, I, I mean, I, I looked at that. Of course, there's no way I'm going to go back and listen to every single episode. But um, that, that, that's amazing. I'm so excited that you guys. How did you guys get into podcasting? Oh, well, uh, Brad was asked to do a radio drive time show down here in L.A. on a Christian channel. And when they heard and he said, oh, I'll do it if I can get a partner and I've got a friend. And so they taught we talked to them about doing it. And when they finally realized the show we wanted to do and they're a Christian audience, they're going, because they want us to go to youth groups and become personalities in the church. And so, you know, we would talk about the problems of church today. And they're like, going, oh, okay, that's not us. That's not our audience. And by then we decided, you know, this was before we even knew such a thing as podcasting existed. It began right at the very end of 2004, early 2005. Yep. We didn't even know there was such a thing. We started ramping up in December to start it. And we didn't talk about it as podcasting. We are talking about, why don't we just record something, put an MP3 file on the Internet, and then anybody in the world can listen to it. And then we found out we're getting ready to start it in March of that in 2005. And somebody said, you know, this is what they're calling podcasting. We're going, what, what is that? And so we backtracked to find out what podcasting was and try to, you know, get it on iTunes and some of that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was just an idea that we had to communicate some things. So we're not sure it's permanent either. I mean, Brad and I, our lives are starting to go a bit of a different direction. We were together and he was a landscape design. He was a landscape installer when we met, he'd been a former pastor and, uh, then we went through the whole thing of the shack and being involved in helping write and publish that and then involved with a lawsuit over that because the author wasn't happy about whatever. And so now, you know, realizing Brad and my lives are starting to go very different directions vocationally. So that may still last to a podcast. Yeah, it may not. I don't look at any of that thing as permanent. It's just what we've been doing as long as we said we do as long as it was fun. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, if, if you guys, if you're ever looking for a place to get your your podcasting voice out there, you're always welcome here. Well, uh, thank you, Cliff. I, I would love it. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you'll be hard pressed to find somebody more passionate about podcasting than me. I absolutely seen it change people's lives. And, I'm sure we do it all wrong. People ask us, you know, how many listeners you got and what do you do? And we don't track stats. We've never put it on search engines. We just have not done any of that. We've just put it up there and kind of let the audience enjoy it as they found it. So, and we do find it goes all over the picking world, but yeah. And, and you're doing it just right. Let me tell you, you're, do- okay. you're, you're talking to somebody who is a perfectionist and, and your podcast is great. I mean, your audio quality sometimes, eh, 
but but overall yeah facts <laughs> you know but the thing is it, it, it's amazing uh the god journey podcast is is something i look forward to each and every week wow um the the jesus lens wow really yes um i have now you guys have another podcast you have you have you have god you have the you have godjourney.com or is it the godjourney.com the god journey if you just do godjourney.com you get to a very strange place okay so don't the, go there the in there yeah but so go to the godjourney.com go there and and subscribe to that podcast folks but also lifestream.org is that right yep Life, that's my home website yeah yeah so lifestream.org is this is the site where it has a lot of ministry related stuff and faith related stuff from wayne and and uh but if you go to itunes and do a search for life stream blog so you'll have the god journey podcast is in itunes but also you have life stream blog podcast yeah which isn't technically a podcast in the sense that i don't do something every week for that it's just that if i have interesting conversations with people or i've done some teaching that i know people want to hear so we ran jesus lens on that we run transitions on that uh, transitions have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times around the world. Yeah, um, yeah. and I hope Jesus lends out, but finds an eyes. I think it's very, uh, it's it's very risky in the sense that people haven't been taught to read scripture quite that way, and so when people have not thought about it that way, start to think it. Their first thought is got to be heresy, got to be something wrong with this, but. So I hope people warm to it too. We're, we've started out very gently, and now we have DVDs of it if people want to go that way. But and there, and there's a thejesuslens.com is a website where the videos are on for free. People can watch them for nothing. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I, well, a couple things. First, I, I can't let this one slide. I, okay. I, just just the 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 podcast coach and consultant enemy. Uh, the the live stream blog podcast is officially a podcast. It is. It is it's a it is a series of audio or video digital files made available and delivered via RSS. I surrender. <laughs> so I just, well, we don't do them very often. We don't do audio. The blog is more about my musings and writings in yes. general rather than it is audio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But see, that's, but they, it's an easy way for people to get it in their i their iPod. So I made them. Do you see the legalist coming out in me? I do. <laughs> But it's okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, the Jesus lens. Now, first and foremost, you had there's it, the that podcast starts off with just one conversation uh, with somebody, and I can't remember what his name is. But it start that it, the first episode in that was just a conversation. I listened to that. I listened to all of transitions, uh, which is amazing. And then I listened to every episode of the Jesus lens, and there's one I can't delete. I, I I've tried to delete it, it but won't I. Go but I can't delete it. It, it. I just, I've listened to it five times so far. Um, and let me just tell you which one it is. Do you not want to delete it or it won't delete? I, I, I don't want to delete it. Okay. I thought you had some kind of malfunction that wouldn't let yeah. you let it go. It's Jesus lens. Number 18. What was God thinking? Yeah. And it says here, uh, let's see here. Um, the 18th audio and our new series about the wonder of scripture and how to read it, interpret it through the re- revelation of Jesus, the Jesus lens. Okay. What was God thinking? What was God going to do through all the centuries of fallenness? Anyway, what was God thinking? I, yeah. Amazing. I, I, I listen and, and it's like, I need to, it's, it's, I feel like I just need to soak in that because I, it, so much of what you shared in the Jesus lens finally makes sense because you're you're talking to somebody here. I you know I studied for ministry. I, I I went to years of Nazarene distance learning, Nazarene Bible College, studying the scriptures and stuff yeah. like that, and and just being bombarded with how 
mean and angry God is. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, but how dare you not kill every man, woman and child? You know, yeah. I, I'm going to I'm going to take your kingdom away because you would you refuse to kill these children. Yes. Um, and and stuff like that. so I, I had all of that. And then even in the New Testament, Paul, I it's like I'm supposed to love everybody. And, and, and how horrible of a Christian I am because I can't stand the Apostle Paul. I read mm. I read his scriptures and I'm like, dude, you're so mean and and, and you're opinionated and, and you're this and and I'm struggling understanding so much of this, I, I'm because here I'm being told. I feel, I honestly, I feel by the Spirit of God giving me the Spirit of discernment that 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 what I'm reading in Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers, what I'm hearing from these messages and and these podcasts from David Foster, what I'm what I'm hearing in So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, and what I'm hearing in all these conversations, I'm really sensing that God's saying, "Yes, Cliff, I'm thrilled with you. I love you." And when I when when I look at Jesus through my lens, or not through the lens of when I look at the scripture, not through the lens of Jesus, but when I look at him through the lens of my experience and training within the institutional church, I don't see a loving father. And 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 I see a really uptight, up in the sky, pie in the sky Jesus. And and all of a sudden, I, the Jesus lens and and transitions, both of them really helped me to understand that 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 really nobody has known the father unless they've known me and if you know me you know the father and and there was so much of that that you shared in there that that just like i i'm i'm it's goosebumps on my arms yeah whoa yeah we we most most religions act like the, the incarnation never happened that jesus was the good side of god not jesus was the exact representation of the nature of the father when he doesn't stone the adulteress what does that say about God's law? What does that say about what we were supposed to learn from the law? And I, I think there's a whole lot that because we've just made this story, God's a meanie and Jesus came to save us from the mean God, we, we really haven't gotten a chance to explore really what really was he doing in the Old Testament. I think the, the Jesus lens number 18, I, I, I know when people tell me, I'm listening to the Jesus lens. I go, oh, great. And then I, I know if they've really listened to it, if they've got to 18, they'll always say, I'm going to talk to you about number 18. Yeah. They don't say that yet. I know they haven't gotten that far. So just wait till they get there. I've, I, I'm not, I listen to every single episode of the Jesus lens. And after I listen to them, I delete them. But, uh, but not 18. 18. Yeah. I'll probably listen to it four or five more times, to be honest with you. I really will. Because I know it's true. I know it's true. And and it gives me hope. And you know what I'm saying? And it, it's like, this is the God I remember falling in love with when I, when I was 18 years old. Yeah. This was the God that I got so excited about that I wanted to tell the world how my life had changed. And I lost that God somewhere. One thing that helps me with the Apostle Paul, because I think in our English versions, we've, we, we've made Paul fit into the model of the senior pastor telling people what to do. People have told me this, and I don't know if it's true because I don't read French this way. They said the French translation of, the, of the Paul's letters, Paul comes out off sounding like the gentle grandpa sitting down with his kids, his grandkids, helping them learn how to live freely in Christ. And they say it's a whole different thing than we read it in English. And I'm going, I wish we had that version. Hold on. You have to say that again because I know you were speaking and I didn't catch her every word. Say that again. I'll just tell you in the the letters of Paul, in the French translations of Paul's letters, Paul comes off like the gentle grandpa talking to his grandkids. 
Having grandkids now, I know what that sounds like. And when I read Paul, I put that into my head. I don't know if the French translation really carries that, but a Frenchman told me that. Yeah. And I thought, he said, you have a problem when you read in English because he sounds like an autocrat in English. And I just learned not to read him that way. I don't read him with that seminary background they gave me. I read him like a grandpa teaching his kids. And so when he says, yeah, this is damaging to you. Don't let the sun go down on your rat. There's one way of, don't let the sun go down on your rat. There's another, hey, don't let the sun go down your rat. It's just not going to help for you. You know, it's just a different way to express those things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I will tell you, I, I'm, I'm excited to go through the scriptures again. But at the same time, I'm I'm not legalistic about it either. I, I I'm I it, that's one of the you know I I heard I've heard you say this several times, various different podcasts, different things. It's like listen, you know, don't feel like you have to go do everything. You know, don't feel like you have to read the Bible all through again and get it all right the second time through. That's, you know, and and stuff like that. Just you know, yeah. and and I loved your. It's like you don't have to read a verse every day. You know, maybe maybe I tell you what, if you if you really do want to do something, just. Just read the Gospels, you know, just look for Jesus. Who is Jesus? Yeah. And and I'm starting to see that. And then all of a sudden I, I am I am branching out into these other scriptures, especially the ones that used to really foul me up. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that doesn't say at all. And, and what I realize is, man, how many sermons have I preached? How many how many episodes of the About the Church podcast have I said things? How many almost, I did 166 episodes of the Almost Daily Devotional. How wow. many of those did I totally just apply out of context? Yep. And and because and, I, I, I'm a legal, I mean, I literally, for, when I left my career to pursue podcasting full time, I was o- overwhelmed with anxiety, uh, you know, almost on the borderline of depression all the time of how am I going to make it? And I kept going to the scripture and it's like, here's this principle, here's this principle, here's this. And I know how you feel about principles. Tell us how you feel about principles real quick. I, I, don't, I don't know what phrase you're looking for exactly, but uh, I, I, just, I just think we were called to follow him. We weren't called to follow his principles. And somehow we got that confused. I follow the God of the Bible. And I mean, I follow the Bible instead of following the God of the Bible. The principles, I just don't think are helpful outside of knowing him and knowing this, this is what applies here. This is what applies here. And it's the, my latest book is called In Season. And it's, it's the whole lessons of the vineyard and how vineyards in different seasons need different things. And we don't think about that in our life. Most Christians are trying to be fruitful every day when a vine is fruitful once a year. Mm-hmm. And it takes a whole process for that fruitfulness to kick in. And if it doesn't have winter, if it doesn't have spring, if it doesn't have summer, that fruit's not coming. We don't think like that as Christians. We want to be fruitful all the time and we put the pressure to do it. And I, that's where principles drive us into living by things that should be true instead of living with he who is truth and letting him nudge us into what's real and what's right for today. For this I, day in this situation, I struggle. I'm a very driven person, and and just naturally, my personality is driven to to always want to produce. I always want something. You know, I want to be fruitful every day. And if I didn't accomplish, there's deliverance for that. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I am experiencing freedom, and and that's that's the cool thing about this. And and like I said, your your book really wasn't the. It was it was it was the. It was the straw on the old camel's back of of the <laughs> enslavery. You know, the, I was riding that. That that camel of slavery and yep. and that little piece of straw the the you know so you don't want to go to church anymore it, it broke that camel. That's neat. I'm never climbing on another candle camel. That's neat. That's great, Wayne. We're already at an hour, my friend. Uh, I have loved this conversation. Will you come on again sometime in the future? 
Oh, you're going to put me on the spot here in front of the whole audience, huh? <laughs> yes. Of course I will. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, any any one place that you want to send people to uh, more than others? Uh, one resource, anything like that? Uh, Lifestream.org gets them to everywhere. The, the homepage there gets them to podcasts, writing, books, uh, articles, everything. So, yeah, that's usually the best one. All right. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. Thanks for having me. Well, there you go, my friends. That is my interview with Wayne Jacobson. Uh, Like he said, go over there and check out livestream.org, livestream.org. And I really encourage you to also check out uh, the God Journey podcast, the Jesus Lens. Uh, I'll put links to all of this stuff in the show notes, of course. And uh, I'm very excited. I I have uh, good feelings that we'll be hearing from Wayne again. I'll be getting my good friend David Foster from Nashville on here again. And I'm looking forward to getting my good friend Robert Johnson on here. And uh, the exciting thing is that this podcast is definitely, definitely one of my my major passions. And I think it will be for quite some time. So uh, you can expect to hear quite a bit more of encouraging others through Christ. Until next time, my friends, I encourage you to join the community. Yeah.